Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the Vice President of Marketing and Communications. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 President-Elect. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing a director at Bright Carbon, who has helped to write and create thousands of presentations and coached hundreds of teams to present more effectively using visuals, diagrams, and animated sequences, Richard Goring. Welcome, Richard. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, before we jump into our topic of visual storytelling, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So I've been working for Bright Carbon for just over 10 years now. And me and others in the team just love helping people to create more effective visual stories, whether that's in traditional kind of presentations for sales and marketing teams or training courses and e-learning for L&D folks. It's all about using visuals to be able to communicate better, to create something that's more engaging. And to be honest, it's terrific fun to be able to be involved in communities like this to, to share cool ideas. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I, I'm i excited about the creativity that visual storytelling brings us. Mm-hmm. But before we dive further into that, let's go ahead and level set. If you could let us know what exactly is visual storytelling. And then when you're going into that, how about maybe some benefits of using it when designing training? I think it seems fairly apparent that you split it out under those two words. One component is the storytelling. So it's thinking about what is it you actually want to say. I know that sounds really basic. And yet, particularly in training courses where there's a curriculum been set, it's maybe based on regulatory requirements. You just say, this is what it is. And sometimes it's really hard to think about the why it's important and why you should care and why you should actually follow through with this and remember to do stuff and actually use it and act upon it. And so the storytelling component of anything you're doing, I think, is critical to be able to engage people because otherwise it's largely going to be a waste of time. It's not going to be effective. It's not going to have kind of long-term value. And then the visual part of that is to get away from the death by PowerPoint, the Mm click-through e-learning that everyone has experienced with huge amounts of training material in the past. You know, you open a PowerPoint and it says, click here to add text. So people do. And you get reams and reams of text and bullet points. And then e-learning comes along and you get pretty much the same thing because platforms like Storyline adapt uh, or adopt the same principles that you get from PowerPoint as essentially the ubiquitous, the, the first kind of slide-based content creation tool. And so it's trying to get away from that and use, as you said at the start, visuals, diagrams, animations as well that explain and reinforce the key messages that help people to engage with the story you're trying to tell. And that has a huge number of benefits that I'm sure we'll get into in more detail, but largely it's about making the whole thing more captivating, more engaging, 
because visual sequences or video-based sequences, which are largely the same things, are much more engaging for people. They are going to respond better to it. They're going to be able to pay attention for much longer. But also, critically, perhaps, for those of us in in L&D, is that they are much more useful when it comes to being memorable. So people will be able to remember a lot more of the content in a visual form versus lots of text. And so it's going to be more useful when they need to use that information later on. You make a good point. Can you share with us some practical tips with our listeners on how they can create more powerful visuals? So the the idea of a powerful visual really has to come down to what is it you are trying to say. And so what I would almost always try to do is think about the content that you have in front of you that you're trying to communicate there. Let's take a a typical example of a a PowerPoint slide that's full of text, and it might be a, a process, for example. You know, these are all the different steps that you need to do. So partly that is, here's all the different things you need to do. So there's there's a lot of information there that's required. But what is it in that process that people really need to remember? A chunk of it may well be fairly self-explanatory, fairly obvious. But maybe you need to point out stuff that is not self-explanatory or not obvious, that the gotchas in it. So you can go for a, a very simple visual of a process. And so you can show one point after the other after the other. A typical um, flow diagram would work well for that. And that's nice because it helps people to figure out that there is a flow, that it's not just a collection of, of random bits and pieces. So the process flow works. But then maybe you can start to highlight some portions of it. So you say, well, here's the overall process flow. You know, that's something that you'll need to know, but don't worry, you know, you've got this as a job aid for later on. But what's particularly interesting is that this bit and this bit and this bit highlight with a color change, with an icon, with a a change of shape, some kind of annotation that sticks over the top of it. These bits are different. They are um, interesting. They are new. They are something that you might not expect. And so I'd like you to pay special attention to those because then you're not going to be caught out. And you might also want to take some kind of context outside of the process. So this is why this process is important. So up front, you might talk about the problems that are going on at the moment that this process helps you to solve, or the benefit or the value that you or other people in the team or the organization or customers or whoever it is gets as a result of you and everyone else following this process. And so maybe there is a visual that helps you to represent what that is, whether that is uh, demonstrating some of the the problems that have been caused, uh, caused. I don't know. Maybe it's um, uh, failure rates in a manufacturing process, or it's you know low rates of customer satisfaction, perhaps, or uh, other some kind of metric there. And at the end of that, you can maybe show the the difference between those two points. You know, this is how we've been able to reduce the uh, the number of failures or increase the customer satisfaction as a result of people using this process in the uh, the the trial phase, for instance. And so you're taking that whole story, not just the data, the what it is, but the how it all flows together, what it means for you, the things that you should be really interested in, and why this is so important. You mentioned PowerPoint a few times. Are there other tools or software that are best for visual storytelling? Not really, to be honest. I think PowerPoint is something that we'll, I'll keep mentioning just because everyone has to use it. PowerPoint is a great tool because if you delete the placeholders, you've got a blank canvas and you can build anything you like. But 
pretty much any piece of presentation software out there is good if you come into it thinking about what story you want to tell and what visuals you want to use to tell it. And likewise, any of the e-learning tools out there are great as well. So the classic storyline, um, uh, you've got the um, Captivate um I mean, you can start to get into other tools as well that are perhaps a little bit more niche, but you know, those kinds of tools are all great because they can give you a blank canvas that you can then build out from. So anything that does that, I think is fine. That's a technology choice and you have to think about what integrates best with the rest of your tool set. So I'm going to show my cards a little bit and say that storytelling is one of my absolute favorite topics. And visual storytelling is a really interesting one for me too. With traditional storytelling, and you know, I'm thinking especially in instructional design when you're choosing stories or examples that often have a flow. You know, for example, they'd have a beginning, a middle, and an end. When you're working on visual storytelling, do you find that keeping beginning, middle, and end is a part of that process? Or do you find that that process is different in this context? No, I think the idea of beginning, middle, and end is absolutely really useful. Um, ah, something good. that you should consider. However, you may not have it as a traditional beginning, middle, and end. Now, mm. that beginning, middle, and end is really good if there is a clear, logical flow. You are telling someone a traditional story, um, perhaps setting some context and some background about how we've arrived at this point, anecdotes, things like that. They're really useful for it. But in most business applications, there isn't necessarily that same structure of beginning, middle, and end. But still, the three-part story structure works really well. And so a really good one that might be more helpful for uh, kind of more corporate, more businessy type training courses is instead something along the lines of perhaps problem, solution, impact. So you've still got the three story structure elements there, and you are essentially doing one at the start and one in the middle and one at the end, and it does follow that logical flow, but now it can be much more uh, specific to the kind of content you've got. So you start off with a problem, and kind of what I described earlier, really. What is the problem that we're trying to solve here? Um, so is it a company-wide problem, a team-wide problem? Is it for you, you know, are you struggling with this kind of thing? Is it causing you to um, uh, to get stressed or to spend too long doing this? And so you're, you know, late home or whatever else it is. You know, there's all sorts of different problems that you can come up with. doesn't need to be extensive. It can be really concise and really quick, but something that gets people to realize that, yes, this is something that I am motivated to solve. And the idea of starting with a problem is that it is a really good motivator because people want to be able to solve that. But also for you as a, as a trainer, it's a great way to empathize with the learner because now you are recognizing the problem that they are facing and that you're going to try and help them. The solution is then the majority of your content. That's kind of the middle of the story. That's where you'll go through whatever the content is that you need um, to, to teach them. But you're now doing it in the context of the problem that they're facing, which means that the whole thing is so much more relevant because now I understand why we're going through all of this because it's going to help me to try and solve that problem as opposed to a whole load of facts or figures or stats or information that didn't have that context before. And then the impact or the benefit or the value at the end of the story is then the payoff. It's an, and this is what you'll be able to achieve with it. Now, sometimes you can mix these up a little bit. Sometimes you can say, look, here's a problem, and this is what we'd like you to achieve. So you go problem, impact, 
and this is how you do it. But traditionally, what we normally do is come up with a problem solution impact because then you see that kind of nice logical flow and it does flow very nicely with the, the same idea of beginning, middle and end that you get in a more traditional story. I love the the fact that the structure actually can help to to support you as you're starting to figure out what elements might be included, what that yeah. story is really going to look like. And what I also really like is the fact that it ties so nicely back into some of those neuroscience or brain science types of connections that are so helpful in storytelling, especially, and I'm thinking about this more for some of the examples where you may have data sets that you might be presenting, where when you, for example, when the brain gets incomplete data, a lot of times we'll try to find ways to connect it together. So in the absence of having a good story, we'll make one up. What I like about this process is it really helps to make sure that you have all of the right details included and make sure that the information you're sharing through this visual process is complete, that it's really, you know, making sure that it's connecting with people and providing the kind of information you want them to get out of either the course or the, the presentation you might be putting together. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to link that to uh, visuals uh, as well, uh, this idea of the brain completing bits that are missing is fascinating. A whole study in itself, both from a storytelling perspective, but also visual perception. And if anyone wants a bit of fun and you've not seen it before, do a quick Google search for gorilla video and inattentional blindness. And there you'll find a fascinating uh, whole genre of, of stuff um, led by a couple of guys back in 1999. They started Dan Simons and Chris Chabrie, um in Harvard, where they looked at this concept of inattentional blindness um, or change blindness, where you think you see something and then you actually don't. And they kind of reveal um, that you are making up a lot of stuff because your focus is elsewhere and you just make huge assumptions. And that's really dangerous, particularly in, as you say, kind of uh, data uh, storytelling and data visualization, where if there is anything that is um, uh, not expected by your audience, and particularly if there's large, complex visuals and large, complex data sets, then you really run the risk of people making an assumption and moving on without realizing stuff. Which is why, coming back to more visual storytelling ideas, if there is something that you really want people to notice, as I talked about before with the process example, you should highlight it, you should call it out, and you should use all of the tools that you have available. And just very simply, is fine with a, with a color change, an icon change, a shape change, uh, an annotation, to be able to really draw people's attention and say, this bit here, I want you to focus on this rather than assuming that they will be paying full attention. They will completely understand the diagram, that they'll listen to every word in the narrative that you're coming across. Help people because they can make some assumptions very easily. I love that feedback. I think that that is really important to keep in mind. It also kind of gets me wondering, what are some of the common mistakes that people make in visual storytelling? Are there things people tend to get wrong? Are there things people tend to do when they think it's effective, but it's not really as effective as they want it to be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm hesitating there because clearly I don't want to put anyone off. Um, oh, no, I, I, no, but it's good to learn, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, just just start. Just do it. You know, if yeah. you are going for it, 
great. You know, anything is going to be better than just that traditional kind of wall of text where it's yeah. all fact based. Um, so, so try it. And sometimes, you know what, it'll work really well. And other times it might only work a little bit better, but it will still be okay. So anything that I'm going to say now, if you're doing it now, you know what, that's all right. But maybe you can push it a bit further because you won't have time to overnight make it all perfect. But some of the common things are, let's think of a couple of categories. You've kind of got like traditional visual stuff. You've got um, accessibility issues. Um and then maybe thinking about the the user a little bit. So to, to cover some examples in those, the first is like the traditional idea of visuals. People go too simple, and so you know you are communicating really complex uh, business type stuff. Lots of information on there, whether it's kind of highly regulated finance and medical stuff, um, or it's really complex manufacturing processes, or, or kind of detailed engineering things. You know, whatever it happens to be that you're doing, and then you decide that actually, you know what, a really good way to visually represent this is to have a single big picture or three icons on the slide. And you know what? Sometimes that's fine, but people really go for the idea of they want all of their slides to look like Steve Jobs presentations. And that's an admirable aim, but Steve Jobs was a really charismatic presenter. His slides themselves weren't always that good. They were beautiful, but not really the kind of thing that you would need in a training environment. So sometimes it works out really well, but if every single slide in your training deck is just a single big picture, that's really hard to pull off. And you've got to rely on the presenter being really charismatic. And that can sometimes work, but not always. The second thing is about accessibility. And so people will often do stuff that maybe isn't very accessible for everyone in their audience. So you need to think about things like color contrast. You need to think about uh, the any kind of text that you've got and whether that's of a good legibility, you know, make it kind of large enough for people to be able to see. And also, if you're going to do things like highlighting, I talked about the idea earlier of, of a process and changing the color of something. Don't rely on just a color change. If you can, try to use at least two different forms of um of, of something to show a change. So if you're going to change parts of a process and you're going to make parts of them, you know, red, for example, or green or blue or whatever color it is, not everyone is going to be able to see that color change or it's not going to be immediately obvious to them. So pair that with an icon, for example, that comes up or a change of shape. So you're having a uh, kind of dual purpose things going on there. You've got some level of redundancy and that can really help. That's just best practice for accessibility generally. And the third element that some of the biggest mistakes are around storytelling and being able to connect with people. And often you get too absorbed in what the content is and forget about the context in which it's being used. Who is the learner for this? What do they need to know? Let's think back to the learning objectives. Let's think about what existing information and knowledge they already have so that it becomes a really efficient way to be able to, to teach them something. And so you can now think very clearly about just the right amount of information rather than too much or too little and also link it back to why they care. I think all of that makes complete sense. And it also 
kind of begs another question, which is as you're building out some of these, you know, visual stories, these visualizations of the content that you want to share, what are your thoughts on testing some of that? Are there times where you might want to run it past an audience? Do you find that that sort of exercise is helpful to make sure that you're communicating the story the right way? I'm wondering if that's something that you typically build into a process or recommend others consider. To be honest, it's really nice if you can do. Experience suggests that it might be hard um, for two reasons. One is that you've got to find an audience that will be willing to take it on and actually sure. uh, do all the testing, which is difficult mm-hmm. enough. And then secondly, it implies that you've got time to create it twice, once to start off with, and then a second time if they don't like it first time around. Um, and so if in an ideal world, you would do it, but it might be better to get feedback on what you have done first time around and learn from that for the second time around. I suppose it depends how important it is. You know, a huge amount of training that's developed is stuff where you've barely got the time to do it anyway. I've got loads of time and loads of availability to do all this so, so stuff, said no training professional ever kind of thing. <laughs> um, so uh, like, it would be really nice, but but maybe not. So instead, I would try to think about those things from before, like, you know, what do people really care about? Let's focus on that. Maybe run your storyboard past a couple of other people in the team. That doesn't necessarily mean that you need to build the whole thing um, or run full-scale testing, but a, a high-level storyboard would be good. Or build out one or two small elements of the content and test that. You know, do you think we've got the right kind of level here? Is this the right kind of a visual approach to be able to take? Does it give sufficient detail for the information that's required? Uh, and you know, like if you're relatively new into the industry, then that will probably be really useful. But if you've been doing it a long time, you may know some of these things already, and so you can use your judgment and intuition. So as long as you're thinking back to the learner and the, the use case of it, I think you'll probably be fine. But make sure that you get feedback on what you've done uh, afterwards. Richard, at the end of every episode, we like to ask our guests rapid-fire-style questions. And each question requires less than 60 seconds to respond. Are you ready? Let's go for it. Okay. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. One book. One book is really hard. So I'm going to cheat a tiny bit and say, get a book on storytelling. I know that the content here is really about visual storytelling, but most people forget about the idea of the storytelling itself. So get something, anything on persuasive storytelling. And I think that that's a huge help to anyone in the L&D field. But to give you some examples, something like the Challenger Sale um, or... Um, what else? Uh, the challenge there, or, or Made to Stick um, by Dan and Chip Heath, both are really good starting books for thinking about the powers of persuasion and storytelling. Very nice. Those are great. Now, what is one tool that you cannot live without? <laughs> so this is going to be a shameless plug. I do apologize. Um, but at Bright Carbon, <laughs> the company that I work for, we've developed a completely free add-in for PowerPoint called BrightSlide. It really turned me on to the idea of add-ins for your favorite authoring tools of choice, PowerPoint in this case, because it saves just a huge amount of time when you're building out your content. So I would highly recommend that anyone get the BrightSlide add-in for their PowerPoint to really boost productivity. It's Yeah, I, I genuinely think it's really very good. Nice. Now, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? 
in the context of what we're doing here, I think uh, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good is generally something to to have a go at. You know, just just try it. See what you can do. Don't try to be perfect straight away. Give it a go. Do some some simple visuals. Think about your audience a little bit when you're building stuff out. You know, just try to answer so what at the end of each um, section or the end of each slide or the end of each you know build, whatever you're trying to do, so that you're always relating it back to the audience. Think about the kinds of visuals that you can use to represent this. What will really help people as they're building stuff up? And then over time, you can improve upon that. You can expand upon that. You can get better and better, incorporate more complex things. You can incorporate animations and whatnot. But just start. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Oh, that's great advice and something I'm sure a lot of people need to hear, myself included. <laughs> so, Richard, we are so happy you joined us today to share your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, and of course, a thank you to my co-host as well. Yeah, this was a fantastic conversation. I really loved how you're able to illustrate how you can use visual storytelling to connect with learners. Just such a wonderful learner-centric approach. Thank you so much. Yeah, very insightful. Thank you for stopping by. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. And of course, many thanks to our community for listening. But before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you need consultant services? The Metro DC chapter of ATD has many talented members. Go to dcatd.org and check out our consultants directory under the resources menu option. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today.